Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. Sudden adult death syndrome, of which these physicians are probably examples of, is now the commonest cause of death, at least in Alberta, where I live. That means more people are dying unexpectedly with no cause than are dying from strokes and heart attacks and diabetes, for example. It's never, ever happened before. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the last days. I always say I don't know if it is the last days, but I'm sure glad I'm here because I would not want to miss this for anything. I don't know that it's going all that well. Um, our incredible interview with uh, Thierry Baudet went very well. Of course, he is the um, he is the opposition, Dutch opposition minister uh, from the Netherlands. And let me just show you a little bit. We got into there. And I'm so blessed and um, thrilled about all of that. Mr. Uh, Baudet is, a, is a, a man with a lot of courage speaking against all of the craziness. But something left me really chilled after that interview. And so these are all the different papers that are quoting our interview over there. And so that's just a, you know, a real honor. But you know what I was really chilled about? Um, is that he said he doesn't think we win. Um, that's sad. Um, so some days I go, well, what does winning mean? D do we think that we're going to take out this global attack that has come against us? Are we really going to be able to be successful? Because they have actually united world leaders from all the major countries, Canada, the US, the UK, um, the Netherlands, uh, you, you look at New Zealand, Australia, all of these Build Back Better buddies have chosen to act in the exact same way. The way that they reacted to COVID, the pushing of the vaccines. Now we have 30,000 people dead in North America, and that will just be basically 10% uh, of what it really is. We've got 30,000 dead in the UK after vaccination. We've got kids died. Way more kids have died from the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, than will ever and have ever died of COVID. Not without extreme, you know, other issues going on, such as cancer, leukemia, things like that. So when Mr. Baudet said to me that he, he doesn't know that we get this back, you know, um, I had to think about that. It kind of kept me up a little bit at night in, in the same way that different people like Naomi Wolf has said, you only have a certain amount of time to fight before it's too dangerous. And in Canada, do you think it's getting too dangerous? You can't get your medical uh, operations if you don't have the vaccine. You, you could potentially get your bank accounts shut down and seized. We don't know if we have property rights in Canada a lot of things going on. And then you see what just happened to President Trump with Mar-a-Lago. Well, all kinds of places being searched, seized. Uh, I don't know if it was just uh, a, a rumor that uh, Marjorie, what, uh, what is her name? Um, yeah, Taylor Green, that she had the FBI show up at 1 a.m. to her home. I mean, what is going on? We've seen that we get you know, and have political prisoners, both in the United States and in Canada. A lot of fines going on. As of right now, today, uh, Pastor Tobias Teason, he was convicted. 
uh, of basically keeping his church open during COVID. Uh, they they have now said that he is uh, he's guilty, and so we don't know what fines or what will it be imprisonment. I don't know. Look what they did to Pastor Archer Pulowski, and so as of today. Tobias Teason has been ruled guilty. They knew that they would be because guess what? The judge said, you are not allowed to use the Charter of Rights and Freedoms or the Bill of Rights in Canada. You're not allowed to use that as your defense. Wow. So here we are. Our kids are being indoctrinated with uh, transgenderism. They're being indoctrinated with CRT and our world's in a bit of chaos. Well, there's a wonderful man and his name is K. Carl Smith, and he is going to join us today. And let me tell you just a little bit about him. He's a retired U.S. Army officer, the former member of President Trump's Presidential Campaign Coalition Advisory Board. K. Carl is a nationally recognized author, speaker, and creator of the Frederick Douglass Republican Engagement Strategy, a powerful and proven persuasive messaging approach. Basically, he helps people to understand uh, important issues regarding race and how we're going to deal with that, and especially uh, with the upcoming next generation. Kay Carl, thank you very much for waiting in the wings. We are so very, very blessed to have you here today. Great, thank you for having me. I look forward to the opportunity to have this dialogue with you. And I thank disagree you. with you with the guest who said that we're gonna lose. We're not gonna lose, but we can't We can't do the things we've been doing all the time and think we're gonna win. We gotta do something differently. I read the last wow. chapter of the book, we will win. I like it. that. I, I, you know, that was part of what I wanted to say was, you know, uh, what, what is the last, uh, what does winning look like in the last part of the book? Because in the last part of the book, there, there's a lot of chaos there too, uh, K. Carl. Well, we don't, you know, we're gonna like, do. To me, winning is sending yeah. the leftists back to France. Right. Excellent. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Tell me a bit about your journey. You worked with uh, President Trump. And uh, t tell me about what that was like. And when you're watching everything going on right now, you, you probably have a different perspective, really knowing the man and, you know, knowing what he's fought for. Well, I also can say I was a member of the Black Voices for Trump and we supported the presidential campaign, helping the President Trump get his message to resonate with people of color because the Republicans and conservatives are, are notorious for having a failed messaging strategy when it comes to uh, engaging people outside of their base. So I was on that advisory committee uh, for a couple of years and uh, really the challenge was is trying to get through the get through to him getting through the operatives to get to him to give him an idea on the strategy that works so but it was it was worth it and i learned a lot uh, met a lot of people but uh he, he's a, he's a winner in my book i can't say that to, for the operatives but president trump is a winner and is a patriot yes sir and we know that uh there's a lot of republicans in name only uh that have you know definitely are not working together to unite that party but it's it's it it literally is a fight to the finish right now and uh he's an amazing yeah, yeah. president so your role has been uh to to help um under uh, americans um understand what america is about and also deal with something that is being taught to kids in in grade school right now and that is that we should all be divided according to our race. And it actually, I think, teaches 
that kind of racism rather than gets rid of it? What What do you say? I, I agree with that. What, we, what we're dealing with is the fact that we're dealing with uh, Marxist uh, liberals who embrace Marxism and they want to destroy America. They, don't, they want to destroy our free market system. They want to destroy our constitution, which guarantee our God-given rights. And they want to do that. They want to destroy America from the inside. America will not fall because some evading army comes across our border. We will be destroyed from the inside by things we're seeing now, where they're attacking our culture. They're attacking our, our children. They're attacking our Judeo-Christian beliefs. Anything that's the stronghold for our republic is being attacked. And, uh, and one thing they're doing by teaching CRT is to create racial strife between whites and blacks, to ignore the gains we've made in terms of race relations, and to say that the race relations, the race relations in the United States that is worse and it's not. Uh, we've come a long way. We've got some more work to do. We've come a long way. America has improved, but they want us to ignore all that. So what I've been advocating for the past 12 years, if we're serious about defending liberty, if we are serious about defending the Constitution, the best way and the most effective liberty message to defeat Marxism is Frederick Douglassism. And I can elaborate more about that in a minute, but Frederick Douglass is the answer. If we leverage his liberty message that resonates with people, and people walk away from Marxist ideology because they never heard the liberty message based on the life and the writings of America's greatest liberty messenger, Frederick Douglass. Wow, wow. Um, uh, so uh, w what was his, uh, when, when was he alive and what was his teaching? Sure, let me give you a quick refresher uh, yeah. of Frederick Douglass. He was, he was born 1818 in the Eastern Shores area of Maryland the way I like to put it, Frederick Douglass was born below poverty because he was born into slavery. He was a slave for the first 20 years of his life, never owned a pair of shoes till age eight, never slept in bed to age 10. He was homeschooled, self-taught, had zero days of formal schooling. Kind of fast forward a little bit, at the age of 20, he escaped from slavery on his second attempt. On his second attempt, Frederick Douglass, a man with zero days of formal schooling, was an advisor to five Republican presidents. Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, James Garfield, Rutherford Hayes, and Benjamin Harrison. Frederick Douglass, at the time of his death in 1895, Frederick Douglass had $300,000 in savings. That's more than $20 million today. So the life of Frederick Douglass is very inspiring. But when it comes to the literary legacy, the things that he wrote about and he uh, spoke about makes Frederick Douglass a powerful patriotic icon that we need to leverage. Let me give an example. Douglas said this one time about the Constitution. He said, quote, the Constitution reads, we the people. It does not read, we the white people, Douglas said. Then Douglas went on to say, if blacks are considered people, then they should be benefactors of the Constitution. Douglas concluded by saying, the problem is not with the Constitution. The problem is in the application of the Constitution. And then Douglas in Boston, he gave a speech entitled A Plea for Free Speech in Boston. And Douglas simply said this as part of that speech. He said, tyrants cannot tolerate free speech because they know the power of it. So Douglas wrote about free speech. He wrote about religious liberty. He wrote about the role of government. He wrote about personal responsibility, uh, economic prosperity, women's rights. 
the right to keep and bear arms, religious liberty, parental choice when it comes to schools. So all these core, um, what I call the tenets of liberty, thank God we have the writings of a former slave who embraced those, those, those principles. So when you share with people what a runaway slave, a runaway slave had to say about those tenets of liberty, it resonates with people because why? No matter which victim category the left try to put people in, nobody today can out-victimize Frederick Douglass. So his, his message of liberty and truth resonates with people and they walk away from the idea of this whole doctrination of Marxism. And here's something you're gonna find interesting. Karl Marx and Frederick Douglass were both born in 1818. Karl Marx was born in Germany. Never, never had a real job in his life. Matter of fact, Karl Marx, he is a poster child for white privilege. His father was a lawyer. Karl Marx married into money. So Karl Marx became a theorist about oppression. Douglas, born into slavery, was a slave for 20 years. Douglas had real life experiences about oppression. So Frederick Douglass was much as a philosopher about liberty as Karl Marx was a philosopher about tyranny and, the, and, and making government powerful. And Douglas believed, of course, making the people powerful and the government had limited, uh, limited power. So that's why I think that the life and the writings of Douglas is an ideal fit what we're dealing with right now to help people recognize the soft tyranny that's unfolding before them. Because a lot of folks don't understand Marxism. They don't understand communism. So you got to give them a different metaphor. And that metaphor is a slavery metaphor. Because that's what they are. Because the techniques of oppression used by the slave government are identical to the techniques of oppression used by the Southern plantation slave masters in the South in, the, in America. They're the same, same techniques. So when Douglas wrote about what he experienced, you can draw direct correlations what we're dealing with today that the role of the, the government is, is controlling our lives. Doug said one time, he said, the problem with slavery wasn't a hard work. The problem with slavery was somebody controlled my every movement and thought. That's why Doug is so important, to wake people wow. up. Wow. Oh, that that is so beautiful. And that is, you know, the, the insight that he had all those years ago, it really, it really shows he... He was in tune with God, I think, and, and he had a message, yes. and that message carries weight right to today. Right it's today, because there's nothing new under the right. sun. There's mm. nothing new under the sun. So, so Douglas is, I, like, for example, I, I was traveling to, you mentioned I was an advisor to President Trump's campaign for a couple of years. I live in Alabama, and I had to fly to D.C. for a board meeting, and whenever I fly on Delta Airlines, I got to leave Birmingham, go to Atlanta, connect the flight, then go wherever the points in the United States. So one particular day I had to fly to Atlanta to get to DC and I'm at my gate in the Atlanta airport and I had on my Trump cap. Now you got to get this picture now, a black man in the Atlanta airport wearing a Trump cap. Right. So at my gate, right across in front of me were three members of Black Lives Matter. When they looked at me, I looked at them, they looked back at me and I said to them, how do you like my cap? Now understand that on my cap, didn't say make America great. On my cap, I had the presidential seal on it and Trump 45 on the bib in the back of the cap. So they looked at me and said, you support President Trump? And I said, I support anybody who wants to do right and nobody wants to do wrong. And that's a quote from Frederick Douglass. Then the conversation shifted to the constitution. 
and they talked about how the Constitution was a racist document in the, the, the founding fathers gave us racism in the Constitution. Then I start telling them and sharing with them what Frederick Douglass had to say, because that was a thought back in Douglass' day. And they looked at me and said, wow, we didn't know that. So what I've learned is most of the people who've embraced Marxism and socialism never heard the liberty message based on the writings and speeches of Frederick Douglass. And when they hear it, it resonates with them. It, it, it breaks their brain, basically. They start thinking. And that's why I think what I advocate, that's why Doug is so important. We cannot save, we cannot save the United States in terms of our, our, our republic without Douglas. It flat out would not work. The left has Karl Marx in the game. We got to get Douglas on our team and put him in the game and give him the ball. You don't have to run any special plays. Just give him the ball. He's a franchise player. Why, why isn't he being leveraged more about those who are lovers of liberty than what we're, what we're doing? The, the left has no answer for Frederick Douglass' liberty message, and they never will. Because Douglass was not a racist. He was a victim of racism because he was a slave. Douglass was not a slave master. He was a slave himself. So that's why the message of the liberty message of Douglass resonates with people. I don't care where they come from, from Canada, United States. When you read about the, the life of Douglass as a slave, and he talks about what he dealt with, and you draw direct parallels what the slave government is doing to us today based on what the slave master did to Douglas. The parallels are there and people have an awakening and they realize then they got to get involved in the political process. Just can't sit back and scream at the television. Man, that is so powerful. Um, I remember watching an, an amazing interview with Morgan Freeman and the host was basically saying, what are you going to do sort of with this racist, you know, country or whatever? And, and, and Morgan, uh, he, he just said, I've had the greatest opportunities of my life here. And I mean, who doesn't love Morgan Freeman? It, it really cracks me up all this stuff about racism because we, we in America, I mean, we honor like the, the elite Hollywood people, you know, and especially some of our African-American brothers and sisters who have attained and achieved so much and are, we just love every movie that they're in, right? If, you know, uh, Will Smith's had a, a bit of a little problem with what happened at the right, Emmys right. or whatever that was. But man, you you want to be in the theater when his movie comes out, you know, Men in Black or whatever. You know, you you want to be there because he's he's a, a major hitter and you just love him. It, it th That is not entering into our minds. And yet, isn't this what they're teaching little kids? That's the concern is the indoctrination. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, they, they have to attack the children because to attack the children and to shape and form their moral perspective. Once they become 30, 40 years old, it's over with. So we got to fight this now and we got to protect the innocence of our children where they're teaching transgenderism to first, second and third graders. Those who are lovers of liberty and love their children, we got to become involved and push back. We got to push back and we're, we're in the majority, yeah. but we think that we're a minority, but we are the majority right. and we got to get involved. Yeah. I, I, why, why is that? Why is it perceived like we're the minority uh, when, is it just because we're quieter? Like we don't argue as much. We don't want to get in the battle. We just prefer to go smile, be nice and walk away rather than because sometimes it's right in, in your face the other way. Right. And I, I'll never exactly forget right. when. Yeah. Right. 
because well, we of that a, and because of the media are in cahoots with the Marxists. They're drinking the Kool-Aid. And now, and, and now I we saw got the current government in America, our federal government cahoots with this Marxist agenda. Yes, sir. And, um, you know, right after, um, right after we had, uh, you know, a very well-known uh, death that happened in the United States of America and Black Lives Matter was uh, doing all of these marches and all of that. We had a huge one in Canada, huge. And there was this really adorable little um, uh, black kid that was uh, just very fervently kind of yelling at everybody and uh, just um, very angry. He was so angry. And I thought, who taught that little precious guy uh, to be so angry? And of course, a lot had happened. But um, uh, I remember... Uh, him coming up to me and uh, my love for African Americans, uh, African Canadians as well, is huge because I was raised amongst Africans. I was actually the only white child in my school that had all these African friends. Then I went and lived in the Arctic and I was the only white girl. My parents were missionaries. They'd move around to all these different cultures. Mm -hmm. I was always like, you know, the only one. And um, and I, I remember just uh, challenging some of his his viewpoints and just showing him love. And I saw I saw that anger just like completely diminish. But right. I knew that he'd been taught all of this. And we have to start talking. We have to we have to That's let love point. lead. Yes. That's a good point because you 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 mentioned it, mentioned it earlier. What the left wants to do, they want to divide us now. And the reason they want us to divide us because when we come together and have conversations. We're going to realize we have more in common and align than what the left want us to believe. So that's why they're trying to separate us now so we can have animosity with one another without not even talking to each other. I mean, think about it. Dr. King sometimes on the weekends will, will meet with members of the Ku Klux Klan, just have this dialogue with them. So if I'm, if I'm trying to have Amazing. a better relationship with somebody, we got to talk. They don't want us to talk. They want us to be at odds with each other, animosity, strife, racial hatred. That's what the left is counting on because they really don't have a solid message. All they have is they're the wizards of propaganda and they're the masters of the deceit. That's all they have. We got to overcome that. 100%. So I'm curious about that interaction that you had with these uh, Black Lives Matters young young men. Um, you know, at the end of that, did, did you feel they had a bit of an awakening? I mean, what a role model you are. I, I definitely yeah. do. I think they had a bit of awakening because uh, really each one of them bought a copy of my book entitled Frederick Douglass Republicans, The Movement to Reignite America's Passion for Liberty, and I did not give them a discount. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that is so great. Um, so so are, are we gaining ground? Because the, the Dems, uh, you see all the way from Nancy Pelosi, uh, Build Back Better Biden, um, they are just pushing that that America is a racist country and we don't want this. Nobody wants this. Nobody even thinks this. I, I, my, I myself am, am personally appalled at this kind of language that that actually, you know, yeah. turns the conversations and, and potentially yeah. makes it, it a violent country because they're just instilling this. What do they stand to gain? I guess they just want control yeah. like they create a problem control. so that they can fix it. Right. They want to be the ones and, to and save be in charge. Everyone's so they, they want to be in charge. Be in charge. Yeah. They want to be in charge. They want to shred the Constitution. OK, because they are revolutionists and 
and they want to be in charge. But you ask me, you ask a good question. Are we gaining the ground? We're not gaining the ground. We're losing ground. And the reason why we're losing ground, because we're doing the same things that we've been doing for 30, 40 years in terms of messaging that does not work. You know, in the United States, for example, those who are the only dog in the fight is really those who embrace conservatism to fight the Marxist liberals. Okay. Those who are really the uh, friends of freedom. But a lot of conservatives in the United States don't understand that the left, unfortunately, has demonized that word conservative. So when you tell somebody you are conservative, that's what you're saying. But what they're hearing is that if you're a black conservative, you're a black racist. If you're a Reagan conservative, you're a Reagan racist. If you say you're a constitutional conservative, now you are a racist racist because the left has demonized the word uh, constitutional too. So we cannot continue to use words that's going to lead us to defeat, and we know it's going to lead us there. So we got to do something differently. And what we've been advocating and teaching for the past 12 years is to stop using the word conservative. Don't reference that in your conversation. Don't call yourself that anymore. Find another way to identify yourself politically. They'll also help you to win the propaganda battle, to trump the race card, pun intended. And that moniker is, in lieu of saying conservative, I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. And I embrace the life empowering values of Frederick Douglass, the things he wrote about, free speech, personal responsibility, the right of people to keep and bear arms. So to become a Frederick Douglass Republican is not based on one skin color. A Frederick Douglass Republican is a person who embraces the life empowering values of Douglass, or we call them the tenets of liberty. And I mentioned them earlier, respect for the constitution, respect for life, the belief in limited power of government, economic prosperity, the right of people to keep and bear arms, free speech, religious liberty, uh, the right to vote, legal immigration. Douglas wrote about all those things. So when you leverage what Frederick Douglass had to say about these 12 tenets of liberty, I'm here to tell you, once we get this thing on a national level, because the left has no answer for it, they got to go back to France. Well, sounds like to me, this is perfect. Uh, I, I happen to be at a uh, a small event where uh, it was a fundraiser for a Trump candidate. And I got to see uh, Mr. Trump up close, but uh, I, you know, this, this candidate was an African-American woman. I mean, just, and it was so beautiful. She practically cried giving her um, homage to how he had been so kind to her, even when her mother died and things like this. It was just beautiful. It clearly, they had a relationship. It was so wonderful. And, um, uh, I, you know, it seems to me that, I mean, you've served, uh, Miss, uh, Mr. Trump, um, it would be super great if you could get on national stages. So is this the movement that you're sort of building? Because this is the kind of thing I'd, I'd love to see portrayed at, you know, the Clay Clark, um, reawaken America events and different events like that. I, I, I think it's brilliant and so amazing. You're highlighting, you know, uh, what, one of the constitutional uh, founders really like the, you know, an early American who honored right. what you're saying. That's, that's right. Well, we're working. Uh, I've been asked to speak at a couple of Clay Clark events. I just could not work it in terms of my schedule because I'm traveling the country uh, doing a lot of training and speaking. Uh, my goal is to is to train 100,000 and teach 100,000 uh, patriots our Frederick Douglass Republican engagement strategy. 
because once we once I can empower them with this strategy where they can have conversations and not confrontations with people, they can in fact engage people and get people to change how they vote because you will ignite their passion for liberty and not their passion for Marxism. So that's that's the goal. And I've been just been been very busy doing that, really pushing hard between now and our general election in November to get to that 100,000 people. Then we're going to continue it, of course, after the election, because right now we're just focusing on those nine swing states that's very important here in, in the states. That's amazing. And are, are you running for a position? Are, are you running in politics at all? No, I'm not running for the, I'm not running for any position. I'm just running for the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I met a great guy at uh, Clay Clark's last event, and his name was Dr. Aaron, and it kind of escapes me right now. Um, but I, I interviewed him. He's an African-American uh, brother, and he was um, speaking, uh, and, and he said, you know, this is what they're doing, and I think he's running for the governorship somewhere. And he that's why he was putting his name forward. He was absolutely articulate uh, and, and brilliant in the way he said it. He said, you know, you, he said, I'm tired of all of this. You and me, we can go for dinner tonight. We're going to have a great time. We could talk about many different topics and we would thoroughly enjoy our night. Who is running around saying that we've got a problem in America? Because he says, I don't see it. I am embraced by so, you know, the people of, of all nationalities and, and the people that are of like mind, that's who we can really find camaraderie with. And, um, you know, I, I found that him to be such a, a very inspiring person and he was fighting it for all he's worth, just like you are. And I know that that uh, folks of, of the, the lighter hue as well, uh, we're fighting it because we don't we don't like uh, being called racist when we're not, you know, sure, sure. we don't and, like that at that's all. Thing, that's that is the, one of the biggest things that we're focusing on, um, you know, in the, in the states, majority of the of conservatives are, 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 are white. And so they're sick and tired of being called a racist and they, know, and they know they're not one. As a matter of fact, they have a child or a grandchild now that's going to college, get indoctrinated as a socialist. They're coming back home now calling their parents or grandparents racist because why? They're conservative. So our, our goal, this whole Frederick Douglass piece, where we can take conservatives, we can take liberty advocates, anybody who understands the importance of liberty in our constitution and want to save our republic, regardless of their uh, their age, regardless of their gender, regardless of their ethnicity, we teach them and empower them with the confidence, the knowledge, and the skill on how to leverage this uh, persuasive messaging model to turn things around. And that's the answer. In addition to making sure our elections are are fair and, uh, and honest, we got to make sure the second thing is Liberty advocates, conservatives must become better messengers of liberty and learn how to trump the race car, pun intended, and be on the offense and not the defense. And you can't do that without Frederick Douglass and leveraging his liberty message. That that is so good. And you know, uh, I'm glad that um, you know you're mentioning just just now when you uh, it triggered a memory as well. But when you're talking about the transgender thing, because that's all being tied in and that gets tied in with the Black Lives Matter. And that is funded by Soros. Soros yes. took money. He funded the transgender movement across the world. Why? Because he believes in transgenderism. No, 
because no. he wanted to create chaos. So then he combined it with the, you know, the, the, the racist thing. And now that, that little kid that I told you about cute as a bug, let me tell you, just absolutely adorable, you know? And, um, he, he was running around. He was saying, yeah, you know, save black trans, save black. And I'm looking around. I don't even see a black trans person anywhere. They got huge signs about black trans all over the Black Lives Matter. And this was, of course, a George Floyd, you know, memoriam because it had just happened. And I'm like, black trans. And I was thinking and thinking because we've learned a lot now about how they're funding. It's, it's the, 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 and frankly, maybe like the white elites and, and Black Lives Matter needs to wake up to the fact that they are just causing division you know in mm. in their community to harm them actually i don't think soros has a good reason for doing what he's doing in funding all of these negative campaigns he puts oh, no. out there I, I i don't say this often publicly but uh, i grew up in huntsville alabama i have a very good friend of mine i grew up played on the same uh, youth uh, basketball team he told me he lives in birmingham here with me, he told me that he gets paid by George Soros to play the race card. I said, Frank, I said, uh, so you selling black folks out for 30 pieces of silver? He said, no, 300,000 pieces of silver. He drives around in a, in a Bentley. Yes, that's real. Right there. That's, that's real. Me. That's how they've been. He's not, the only, he's not the only one getting paid off like that. Of course not. He's not the only one. There's more. It's, yep, I mean, uh, we've been covering stories on this show about how they've been paying governors, how, how they've been paying the medical people. We know that the kickbacks in Canada for the medical authorities not to discuss, you know, uh, natural remedies for COVID and to really push the vaccine, uh, that they've been paid megabucks. You know, like all yeah. of it, it all comes down to money, you know, and it's very hard. Um, uh, so. And they, think, they think all oh, that's going to last forever. That's going to fall right. because it's based yes. upon lies, uh, mistruth, and that's diabolical it. ideas and about diabolical nature and mindset. That's not going to last forever. It's going to no. fall. It's going to fall soon. It is. I, I just have so much respect for you. I love what you're doing. I think this is brilliant. I, I We got to have you on again. And uh, let's, let's talk about this. Yes, and I'm gonna, you know, put in a word at Clay Clark that they gotta not do not stop inviting him. He's got to be able to make it because there's always a couple, two to three thousand people there that need to hear your message. And as well, the Smith brothers are there, um, and you know, ironically, your last name. But uh, two young African American guys—they're not twins; they look a little bit alike, but they are so hot on like the the Facebook. Um, not Facebook, the social media platform. Where are they? Is they're, they're on YouTube a lot. Yeah. And oh, they're funny. And they're just just like you. They're they're teaching people, you know, about what's right and wrong and conservatism and what it looks like. And man, you guys got together, get together. First of all, they're going to all think that you're their dad or something because the, the name is the same. <laughs> no, probably, uh, but, probably their younger brother. Their younger brother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. it. Uh, I love it. Not their dad. Um, my final, right, right, right. My final question, uh, and please tell us uh, everything you want us to know. But um, and we'd like to tell the audience where to get your book, and a lot of people want to know how to yeah. follow you and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, was your parents influential in how you feel, or when did you come to the revelation of of everything you're sharing? How did it happen for you? 
I grew up in a staunch Christian and my parents were staunch Republicans until 1964. So I actually grew up in a staunch Democrat home because I was born in 57. Um, yeah, my, my parents willed to me a faith in Jesus Christ. So I was never converted to conservatism. I've always been one. I just didn't know it because that's not the word we use in the black community to describe ourselves as a political mm -hmm. identity. And so when I found out what conservatism was, was all about compared to the lies I was told by some of my community leaders, I realized that I was a Democrat voting that way, not based on my values, but I was voting that way based on family tradition. And that was a problem for me. So I need to start voting based on my values that I believe in and my values are the guiding post that determines how I vote. And so that was the awakening for me. And then when I started accepting this conservative political identity, well, that's when I start facing ostracism from family members and friends and just everybody in general, because I was, I'm a sellout to my community now, I'm on Uncle Tom. So then of course, later God pricked my spirit and about Frederick Douglass. So I, when I invented this, I created this whole Frederick Douglass engagement philosophy. And uh, that's when things start turning around and, or, or turning the cup right side up for me and empowering people to bring political healing, not just to their communities and to our nation, but also within their own families by leveraging Liberty Message of Douglas and using Frederick Douglass Republican as a moniker. That's so amazing. Oh, the website. I, I'm just, the right. The website, right. the website, yeah, hey, visit my website. I got, I wrote a book entitled Frederick Douglass Republicans, the movement to reignite America's passion for liberty. When you come to my website, diversityengagement.org, sign up for the, uh, I got a course on this whole engagement philosophy because I can't be everywhere teaching this. Sign up for the course, you get an autographed book for free. And the value of the book is just, it's $20 itself. And the course is just $49. And that really is to maintain the site and uh, pay somebody to do that for me. Well, as an African-American Canadian, I want to join your group and uh, <laughs> I want to promote well, what you're yes, talking about. To it. I, I find it absolutely amazing. Okay, Carl, it's just it's been a game such a changer. privilege. It's a game it changer. is a game changer. I love you it. Send I, the left I get back to France. Get him yes. out of Canada, send him back to France. I know <laughs> we want to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Thank you very much for this my time pleasure. and let's do it again really me. soon. All right. Take Thank care. You. Oh, what a great guy. eh? Like imagine he's kind of, he's, he's come up with a solution and a way to present something very difficult to an entire nation of people that really need to hear it so that they can uh, re sort of recreate and rebrand because some things are, you know, there's, a, they, they have a sullied reputation about conservatism or whatever, but he's found a way to bring in this am amazing person from the past who had a message literally from God that is just being bust out into the future. So, uh, waiting in the wings, I have, uh, one of my favorite doctors of all time, before we do that, could you please roll the Stu Peters clip regarding the doctors that have been dying? Let's watch that, and then I'd like to come on with Dr. Roger Hodkinson. Take a look. Welcome back. Well, just a few minutes ago with Steve Kirsch, we talked to you about the situation with doctor deaths in Canada. Well, we wanted to go even more in-depth about this. Remember, these are young doctors, or at least people healthy enough that they shouldn't just be dropping dead out of the blue. 
kind of people who should have long lives ahead of them. But instead, they're dropping in droves. There are people like Dr. Ainsley Moore, who just died suddenly and unexpectedly in her 50s. There are people like Dr. Candace Naiman, who dropped dead at 27 years old during a triathlon. How about Dr. Paul Hannum, who dropped dead at 50 while on a charity fun run with his family? If you go to the website of the Canadian Medical Association, they have an in-memoriam page that honors deceased doctors. The page is fairly recent, so we don't have good data for the pre-COVID years. But by 2020, the website was in full swing. And get this, in 2020, the CMA website has memorial pages for 246 doctors. For 2021, that number surged to 393. Odessa Orlowitz is with Liberty Talk Canada, and she joins us now. So you have verification that this number just continues to increase. Doctors have now been required to take their fourth shot, and they're just dropping dead in droves. Is anybody making the connection? Everything keeps changing so much. You know, I was with you very recently that it was six doctors. So the Canadian Medical Association, I just want to clear up that site. Since I did my episode on that, there's a scientist that has been emailing me. He doesn't want me to name him. And he said, what a mess. I used to be able to see the amount of deaths from like 2015, 16, 17, 18 onwards. And then so he, he emailed me to correct me saying, where are you seeing that only 35 doctors died in 2019, I'm seeing 100 and whatever, right? And I said, we can't see it, what's going on? So he goes to the link, he goes, you're right. He's been tracking it for months. And he said, it's all gone now. So they've taken things down. You now can't get access to the true numbers, um, but they still have the 2020, 2021, and part of 2022 up. The bizarre thing is they have not updated doctor deaths for the last two months. And that is when all this is occurring. So I've asked them for a statement. I emailed them and said, can you please let us know why you have not updated doctor deaths in the last two months? Please give a comment because there is speculation that you're purposely not updating it for the last two months because you don't want to show that the doctors dying are at such a younger age. I said, you can clear this up, give me an email, let me know. Because I said, when somebody reports that a doctor has passed away, I find it odd that you wouldn't in, more, in memoriam them until two months later. So they haven't responded yet, hopefully they will. Um, so that CMA website is, everything's disappearing and it's a mess right now. But before the kind of gong show of them taking stuff down happened, there definitely was a huge uptick because the vaccine in Canada rolled up out the end of 2020, two weeks before 2021, and it skyrocketed after that. I mean, yeah. huge increase. This isn't speculation. I mean, I know that that's just something that you wrote to them, but we absolutely know 100% what this is. They want to cover it up. The doctors are dying, and they're dying from these stupid shots, period. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's why they're dropping dead. They didn't drown in a pool. Uh, they didn't have any reason to be unhealthy. I mean, they, they were running triathlons. These people yeah, are so, healthy people. So of the 18 that we thought it was as of yesterday, uh, only a couple of them had cancer, but the other 16, no reason suddenly passed away um, sleeping or exercising. So I got an email this morning, just in time for your show, Dr. William Mackey, 
he's very, uh, he's truthful always, and the government here hates him. He emailed me and said, hey, um, those 18 doctors, I put those images together, I released that info, and then he said, it's actually 28 now. But he said, I'm not, I'm about to release the information, I'm not sure how to do it. So thank God I got his email, Dr. William Mackey has now compiled a list of 28. That's all I know, I got the email. 28 dead doctors. These are not old people that are unhealthy people. These are doctors no. in the prime of their life and they are dropping dead because they have been forced to take this fourth shot. Everybody who takes these shots is going to die an early death. Uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson uh, is an accredited and highly respected pathologist. Many of you know him. He is a, a friend to this show. You've probably uh, seen him perhaps speaking in Canada at many places, including the Freedom Convoy, somebody that showed up for the people to tell the truth, to tell what was happening, what was going on. And uh, he's a dear friend of mine, and I have the, the most respect for him. Dr. Roger Hodkinson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Hello, Laura Lynn. Nice to see you again. Um, nice to see you. Uh, I'm sad that we always talk about the worst kind of, uh, the worst kind of um, things um, that are going on in the world. I'm sad that we always, uh, you know, have to meet under these circumstances, but there's an awful lot going on. Well, you know, th there's an awful lot to talk about. Um, I was listening um, very attentively to your last um, uh, interview with uh, Liberty, uh, Liberty, uh, about the the accumulating number of physician deaths. Um, what I think is most important for people to realize is that um, yes, these were healthy physicians. They they would almost certainly have been coerced into vaccination by their by their either their faculty or their clinic or their government role or whatever. The likelihood of them having been coerced into vaccination is is very high. Um, it's obviously tragic that these doctors are dying, but I would paint a much bigger picture. Um, they happen to be doctors, um, but they are the canary in the coal mine. We're focusing on them because of a demographic that's easily identified. If you were, if you were to then um, uh, calculate the number of Canadians who are dying in a similar circumstance, that number would be very scary indeed. And it, it, that kind of number corresponds to what we're hearing, of course, with the, the new commonest cause of death, at least in Alberta, which is described as SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. Uh, it's, it's like a takeoff on SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, which has a different, different cause. But um, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, of which these physicians are probably examples of, is now the commonest cause of death, at least in Alberta, where I live. That means more people are dying unexpectedly with no cause than are dying from strokes and heart attacks and diabetes, for example. It's never 
ever happened before. When I was doing medical examiner autopsies 40 years ago, um, signing a death out as unknown cause was exquisitely rare. It virtually never happened. There was almost always a cause of death that could be identified at autopsy. And now, of course, we're seeing this enormous number, um, largely, of course, because um, they've not been autopsied. And that should be insisted upon. I mean, you can't force that's amazing. to... Yeah, that, that's amazing to hear, Dr. Hodkinson, because uh, many of us wouldn't know, like, uh, you know, how often somebody might be, you know, a, a family pays to have an autopsy done. And we don't know how often you say, well, we just really can't figure it out. But you're saying that's rare. You always want to find what is the reason that this incredible person who meant something to a lot of people has died. And uh, we've got a, a picture um, that maybe uh, if Aaron can put that up on the side, I don't know. But these are these are the important people to, to a lot of people that have died. And, and this is a new one, actually. This is an Ontario paramedic just today, I believe, is when we heard about this. An Ontario paramedic dies suddenly while on jet ski at a U.S. cottage, the family says. Uh, th this is happening far too often. We have, uh, you know, the athletes that are just falling over. And so to hear your experience when you were doing, you know, your, your best work and examining dead bodies for the cause of death, you wanted to find that reason. And for them to be coming, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're not just ignorant people, but for them to be coming up with unknown cause of death, uh, what's going on? There's um, willful ignorance is the motivator. The people that are responsible for what I'm now calling the big kill, the people that are ultimately responsible for this, the medical officers of health, the premiers of the provinces, uh, TAM in Ottawa, etc., etc. The people responsible do not want to know the scale of the consequences of their actions. Just from not just the, the, the clot shot, as I prefer to call it, it's certainly not a vaccine of a traditional nature, not just from yes. the, the clot shot, but also from the mandates, the suicides, um, the, the enormous carnage that's gone on, um, not just in Canada, but around the world, from these ridiculous interventions for a condition that was never a public health emergency, with responses that were never indicated, never tested, and have resulted in catastrophic consequences. We're given the scale of death that's going on, it should be an enormous medical problem. To, it should be for the authorities an enormous problem to investigate with due speed by whatever means. That is not happening. They don't wish to be found culpable for the cause. That's an additional damnation for them, quite apart from introducing it in the first place, quite apart from not monitoring the consequences, quite apart from deaths, the massive disability, which is 10 times greater than the deaths, 
they're culpable at so many levels. Having said all of that, there was a statistic today that I'd like to um, reveal, at least in the States, sure. that gives some hope for the future. Because in the States, only 5% of children currently have had the first vaccination. Now, for any parent listening, I would go on my knees to beg you not to vaccinate your children. The children are being sacrificed on the high altar of these gods, these technocrats. And child sacrifice is not going to solve, save granny in the nursing home. It's going to kill children, each one of which is not a statistic. Each one of those children who would die from this vaccine, this clot shot, is as close to someone as my children are to me. This has to stop, not just for children, but for the entire population. It's the most catastrophic intervention in medical history. It's at that scale of enormity. So very, very devastating. Um, we, we see on the VAERS reports that there's, uh, they have listed well over, I think it's probably about 150 or more right now uh, of kids that have passed away under the age of 18 uh, from the shot. And, uh, and, and yet parents, um, you know, will, are, are fighting in the courts to be able to have their child vaccinated and, and judges are ruling that for the best interest of the child, in spite of expert testimony from doctors that that child should be vaccinated, our courts have also participated in this uh, crime against humanity. We're seeing the edifice crumbling. We're seeing Walensky at the CDC saying that it didn't meet our expectations. What a mealy-mouthed, excuse me, I, I could swear like a trooper, given my true feelings about her. Yes, it certainly didn't meet expectations. It was killing people, for God's sake. It's that bad. These people should be hauled into court and tried for criminal acts. They're not stupid. Walensky ran infectious disease at the Mass General, a very smart lady by any, by any account, but suddenly catapulted into this political realm. She advocated something that she knew right from the get-go was killing people. That is utterly inexcusable. It's a criminal act. It should be tried in court and she should be jailed. And I'm not the only person saying that. Remember, after Nuremberg, seven physicians swung. The most terrible acts were performed upon those Jewish inmates in the concentration camps. And I'm not minimizing that when I say this, the consequence of these actions by these technocrats is massively greater than the tragedies that happened in those concentration camps. Cumulatively, internationally, we're probably talking about a million people dying or more directly due to the interventions of one sort or another. And including in that, of course, the denial the absolute forbidden 
prescribing of agents that were cheap, safe, and effective. I'm talking here about ivermectin and vitamin D. They are culpable at so many levels, and they will not be able to hide from the courts behind this veil of anonymity, you know, being a bureaucrat and being protected, etc., etc. No, no, they, they knew what they were doing. I'm not saying it was intentional by any means. But what I am saying is that by following political diktats and following the WHO and following China's lead without doing due diligence, they become, culp they become culpable in the consequences. There is no hiding for them and we're coming for them. The court cases are starting. Fauci is now, of course, found it convenient to resign because he knows he's going to be hounded. Um, he's going to find his time in court, hopefully before he dies. The scale of this, Laura Lynn, is unprecedented. It's orders of magnitude greater than anything else of this nature that's ever happened in medicine. It's massive. And we may not have seen the end of it. We're obviously very concerned about the emergence of cancer not just cancers that were under control, but new cancers, because the immune system's principal role, of course, is not just to identify bugs and infections, it's to identify anything that's not you. Infections are not you, but cancer isn't you. There's serious concern about a massive increase in new cancers across all age groups. That's not being studied either. There's a deafening silence given the scale of what's going on. We're seeing people who have been vaccinated coming down after correcting for prevalence. That means when you say per 100,000, vaccinated people are now coming down with COVID much more often than unvaccinated people correcting for prevalence. This so-called vaccine isn't simply um, failing at stopping you getting it. It's actually giving it to you, increasing your chances of getting it as opposed to stopping it or reducing the chances of getting it. Exactly the opposite of what should be expected for an effective vaccine of this nature. This is how catastrophic the whole thing is. And the bureaucrats are hiding as effectively as they can, issuing mealy-mouthed statements like Walensky, but that's not good enough. We're coming for you because you've killed people. It's as simple as that. And the colleges of physicians across con this country and this once fine country, not the country I joined in 1970, the colleges of physicians and surgeons across this country in every province, I am saying to them, directly and publicly, having been a soldier for organized medicine for my entire career, with never a complaint made against me until now, I'm saying publicly, they are co-conspirators with government in state-sanctioned murder. They're doing exactly the opposite of what they're there to do, which is to protect you from me to make sure I'm not cutting off the wrong leg, make sure I'm not a paedophile, whatever, whatever.
That's their job. And instead of that, they're denying informed consent by preventing physicians from articulating the dangers of the vaccine. They're doing more harm than good because they're denying access to very helpful medications that are cheap and safe. At every level, the colleges are guilty of the very crimes that they would normally take a physician's license away. They themselves are practicing medical malpractice. And it's not just on a single patient like it would be for a doctor with one patient. No, it's on society. That's why it's so much graver because of the millions of people that are involved and not just one-on-one, -on -one, but millions of people. And the statistics are now becoming absolutely overwhelming. Do you think they're going to have to finally admit this? Um, I, as we see uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, uh, he put in this, uh, he said that massive miscarriage rates uh, among the vaccinated pregnant women are found buried in the Pfizer documents. And as we know, we're seeing that the rates of miscarriages and the, you know, there's even testing that has shown that the sperm is not uh, reacting right uh, for a period of time, it says. I don't know how long that period is, but after, um, after people get the shots, we do not know whether men and women uh, are going to be affected with their fertility long term. We have a lot of miscarriages. I myself have really sought because uh, Epic Times reported that there was the 13 miscarriages in North Vancouver and I have called the hospital. Then they called me back and said someone would call me. Then I, no one did. Then I called again and they said, we'd like the request in writing. Then I wrote them, could you please confirm about these miscarriages and now nothing. And so I don't know what to say. It seems to me a pretty simple thing to say, no, that never happened. Uh, that was a, a rumor, you know, that got out of hand and it never happened. But they, they will not even confirm that. And, and not a word. I'm not being sued for saying that I think it did. Uh, you know, I don't know. But obviously, uh, a lot more harms are coming our way. If we have time, um, Laura Lynn, I'd like to take you and your listeners through some of the issues that are involved in fertility. Please do. Post, post clock shot. And I'll start off by saying this. As a pathologist with a very full, extensive career, I have opened up hundreds of uteruses that have come from the operating room. The gynecologists take it out, they don't open it up. We do as pathologists in order to look at the pathology, to take sections and look at them microscopically. I can tell you that the endometrium is the lushest, most fragile tissue in the entire human body. You can put your finger in it, just like you can put your finger in the brain. It's extremely delicate and it's meant to be so as a nurturing environment for the develop the, the fertilized ovum that comes down the fallopian tube and implants into the endometrium. The blood vessels in the endometrium are exquisitely fragile. Witness how easy it is to make them bleed a woman's menstrual period every month. Those vessels are all lined by a receptor for the spike protein. The receptor is called the ACE2 receptor. 
So it should come as no surprise to hear of all these menstrual abnormalities that are happening after vaccination, because the spike protein being massively overproduced in some women hones in on many blood vessels, including the, the blood vessels in the lining of the uterus, causing them to thrombose or bleed. Hence the reason for the menstrual abnormalities post-vaccination, so-called. But that's, that's merely the backdrop. That fertilized ovum that's traveling down, hoping, hoping to be received by a welcoming, lush endometrium, suddenly finds itself landing in a space that's been devastated, not at all welcoming. And so the likelihood of that ovum implanting and having a successful pregnancy is much lower. And that's one of the principal reasons, I think, why we're seeing a decline in fertility for women. The other reason is that the spike protein, the antibodies directed against the spike protein, which is the intended uh, consequence of this clot shot, those antibodies against the spike protein happen to cross-react to a particular protein in the placenta called syncetin. And that attack against the developing placenta would be another reason for uh, the developing fetus not to survive. But the story gets much, much more serious than that. Just a digression for a minute before getting into the developing female fetus, spermatozoa counts have been dropping internationally for decades for reasons that are unclear. But we do know that superimposed upon that, there's an additional 15% reduction in the concentration of spermatozoa following injection with the clot shot. We don't know and, how and long what is that spermatozoa well, what what is that the spermatozoa uh, of course is is the male um male gamete sperm that's re okay. required for for fertilization of the ovum uh, okay got it as, as, a, as a result of in semen as a result of sexual intercourse um so that compounds the problem of course of infertility because that's only the count by the way it doesn't reflect the actual viability and metabolism of an individual spermatozoan. It's simply the crude count. Um, there may well be other functional abnormalities that are not being studied. Anyway, but to get to the big point, the big point is this. We know from the um, freedom of information request of the Japanese for the Japanese as a result of the Pfizer submission there. That was done by Dr. Byron Bridle out of Guelph. We do know that that study that was presented to the Japanese and, re and released very reluctantly by Pfizer showed that nanoparticles without the mRNA inside them, just the naked particles, when injected into rats, those particles homed on the rat ovaries to a very significant degree. The third highest concentration in the rat was in the rat ovaries. Now, baby girls are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have in their entire life. They don't make any more when they're born. 
it's about a million or so. And so each one of those over is incredibly precious. So there could be an inflammatory attack going on against the ovary of a developing female fetus because we also know that nanoparticles of that size are well known to pass through what we call the placental barrier, the thing that keeps the baby safe from all kinds of noxious things. So these nanoparticles from the clot shot that are known to be inflammatory and known to concentrate in rat ovaries, either not studied in humans conveniently, despite knowing that, those nanoparticles known to be inflammatory are getting through the placenta and could be, again, not studied, could be attacking the ovary of the developing female fetus. Translation. This may not be simply an effect on fertility. It could be causing infertility. Only manifest 20 years later when that little girl becomes of reproductive age. This is the scale. This is the scale of stuff that is still not studied. Things with gigantic consequences. The only saving grace is that it seems, at least in the States, that parents are smartening up and are choosing not to get their children vaccinated. I think you can appreciate, Laura Lynn, you know, I, I'm a senior physician. I'm trying not to exaggerate. I'm trying to simply relate things that could be happening that are of gigantic importance, that are well known to the authorities and are not being investigated. That is one of the scariest stories coming out of COVID. And I guess as a doctor, when you see that it's not being investigated and nothing makes sense, because that's been the problem all along, it doesn't make sense that that good doctors, uh, you know, if Dr. Teresa Tam is, is such a good doctor, why are they not looking into all of these things? Why uh, is Dr. Bonnie Henry in in the British Columbia area, you know, and, and Henshaw in Alberta? Why is there not more investigation and clarity and, you know, putting things out in, in a very easy to understand manner that we're all in this, we're battling this. Instead, it's just the shutdown and no one talks about it. No one ta is talking about the deaths. But like you say, there is beginning to be an onslaught. Everybody seems to know someone that's injured or dead. And so I don't think they can hide it forever. I wonder when the turnaround comes. When I've done lots of rallies and on this topic for the Alberta Prosperity Project, which is advocating for a solution to this madness by declaring an independent republic of Alberta as a much faster way of, of um, turning the ship around. But at those rallies, initially, until I got so tired of getting the same response, I asked this open-ended question because of it's a straw poll, but we have to rely on straw polls if the government's intentionally not measuring things in a robust way. And so the question I would pose to everyone, 500 at a time, was this. Would everyone here please put up their hand 
if you're aware of anyone in your personal acquaintance who following vaccination <laughs> with um, the clot shot has had a serious life altering event such as heart attack, stroke or pulmonary embolus, not just a sore arm and a headache. Would you please put up your hand if you know of anyone who's suffered that kind of consequence? The first time I asked that question, I was quite unprepared for the response. I was gobsmacked because a third of the people there put up their hand. And I said to them, look, look around, would you? Does that seem like a rare problem to you? I don't think so. So I asked the question at the subsequent rallies and I got approximately the same number of hands going up. Are we, is it reduced to this? Do we have to do straw polls to try to figure out the scale of what's going on when it's so obvious that it's catastrophic having to be reduced to straw polls, even, even VAERS is, is uh, voluntary, remember? It's, it's, it's um, grossly understated. 30,000 deaths attributed to the clot shot in VAERS, probably understated by a factor of, of at least 10, if not 40, according to Jessica Rose, an esteemed Canadian researcher who lives in Israel right now, who publishes quite a bit. Um, that, that scale of death. Now that's, remember, that's just death. That's not this, that doesn't include this, the, the multiple of that, of life-changing events like strokes and heart attacks and pulmonary emboli, um, Guillain-Barre, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the carnage is massive. And that's why these doctors tragic as each one of their deaths are. Are the canary in the coal mine, Laura Lynn? Physiologically, they're no different from you and me. But they're a demographic that gets attention. But you should multiply that probably by a thousand times to know the, the, the true incidence of what's going across Canada. Look, look at the ratio of physicians to population and just do that multiple, right? Um, that's the scale of things that are going on. And these technocrats just don't give a damn. They're still pushing this poison on people. Despite the overwhelming evidence of carnage. And despite the fact that even in the best case scenario, this so-called vaccine is directed against the, the very first version that came that was the problem, the alpha variant, has absolutely no benefit for Omicron. And of course, now big farmers coming out with a, another vac, so-called vaccine that's meant to attack Omicron, but the, the CDC and FDA are giving it a pass through with no trials at all, a totally new product that's going to be pushed on the population with not even the, the rudimentary trial that the original product had. It, it, it's, it, it's black, Shocking. black and black, uh, Laura Lynn. When, you, when you're a senior physician who's fairly knowledgeable about these things, 
it, it's a bloody nightmare. I have no doubt that uh, when you sit in your chair once in a while in a quiet evening and you consider what you know and what you are seeing, that uh, that's a very dark moment. And you, among many, truly understand this. And uh, you had your own bout with COVID and you fought the good fight and you know that it wasn't an easy fight. Uh, as, as you told well, us, I believe, me. on one of the... It was my wife that nursed me. And yes. Peter McCullough, Peter McCullough in the States was my was my specialist physician, supported by my outstanding GP locally. Um, yeah, the the Good three of them you. the three of them pulled me through without without going to hospital. Um, Good for yeah, you. Good but, for you. But hey, that happens, right? Life's risky get used i'm a pathologist death happens sorry get used to it you know you can have a head-on collision going to work in the morning um you might have a berry aneurysm pop in your head you know when you're eating breakfast tomorrow um right that's the reality you must of life. feel good though you've got this but, natural immunity now where everyone that's taken the shot we have this increase in cancers increase in all kinds of things going on sudden adult death syndrome happening people just collapsing doctors dying you know and you don't have to face that because you didn't take the shot well uh, you know that there are long-term consequences of having covid infection just like there are long-term consequences of so many diseases um, i'm not out of the woods um by any means but i'm, I'm quite prepared to live with that risk it's it's just a, a risk of living um the best way of describing that is, of course, that people should not be totally paranoid now about every sniffle that they get. You know, life is not about delaying death. Life is about living, enjoying the time, even if it's and short. And we've certainly now. forgotten. We've certainly forgotten how to enjoy life. People have been literally terrorized. We're, we've been traumatized in our nation. And... Uh, I wanted to sit out here uh, for the couple days that I'm, you know, down here at a beach in Florida. I wanted to let everyone know that more of us should be doing that, but we're not really doing that these days. Uh, we're not living. We're afraid. Well, if if we have the funds and the ability to go, we don't know if we can get back with Arrive Can, and uh, we're we're traumatized because our family and our our friends have. Um, we're getting this bad news and it's affecting everyone that, you know, we, we worry about our families and friends who have taken it. And so what a difficult world we're in right now, Dr. Hodkinson. The, the only way out of this mess and try to prevent future messes of a similar scale is to take back control of the governance of these institutions that are being so dictatorial. And just speaking as an Albertan now, and perhaps you as a British Columbian, um, the chances of us doing that um, and succeeding against um, fancy socks in Ottawa, I have other names that are not quite as pretty. Um, the chances of us succeeding are like a snowball in hell. It ain't mm. going to happen. And so that's why I'm putting all my energy now supporting the Alberta Prosperity Project, 
which has the ultimate, ultimate objective of educating people as to how fatuous it is to think that our relationship with Ottawa can change with negotiation. And the only solution is a separation, a divorce, which has to be stated as for those that are still flag-waving patriots, like I was in Ottawa, mm -hmm. you, you, you position it this way. Alberta is not separating from Canada. Canada left Alberta a long time ago. For the very first time, Laura Lynn, two weeks ago, I sat down intentionally for the national anthem. I will never, ever stand up for it again. I will never wave a Canadian maple leaf unless I hold it upside down. It's not the country I joined and I desperately want to leave it. Wow, I know. And a lot of people are feeling that. And I thank you for your honesty. And we pray for Canada. And honestly, that is just so painful and so true how people are feeling. That's what they've done to us. That's what Trudeau and the Liberals and all of this pain has done to a lot of people. And I get it. Taking control of governance, governance of the university, governance of the College of Physicians and Surgeons, changing the way we appoint judges, governance at all levels, the police, etc. It's at a governance level that action has to be taken, and that can only happen within an independent Republic of Alberta that has the power to do that, because the power to do that would never be granted by Ottawa. And maybe then, you know, maybe then if there were a separation and a true return to the love of Canadian values, uh, maybe the national anthem could be sung um, with vigor as uh the new the new way you know i hope for that i do love let, that anthem but i understand let let me paint a positive picture to end on laura lynn mm. okay it, it is going to get worse before it gets better these technocrats are not going to fill their tent they're going to deny 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 they'll fight like crazy to state the obvious but when the truth comes out as it will inevitably as to this, the catastrophic scale of what's gone on over the last two and a half years. When that starts sinking into the general population, I believe there's going to be a, a scale of revulsion that we're quite unprepared for. The scale of revulsion will, will feed into the Alberta Prosperity Project and the need to educate people about possibility of a vibrant Republic of Alberta that would be the freest, happiest, most prosperous place on earth. Um, and what started as in Alberta with the truckers and then morphed internationally, as we know, the Netherlands, for example, and Australia, um, that, that, that was an Alberta initiative that will culminate in an independent Republic of Alberta that will be a beacon for the rest of the world to, to run democratic jurisdictions according to the old principles of hard work, religion, family, trust, risk-taking. What a wonderful future that will be, and it's doable within three years. 
as a much faster way of getting out of this mess than fighting with Ottawa for crumbs that are left on the table. I, I am tending to believe that might have to happen. Um, so very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, it's like being in a relationship with a, uh, an abusive partner. Um, it's been very hard and we've been abused. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Hodkinson. I just love you, you. And I thank you for your heart. I thank you for your amazing nice. words. You're such a courageous man. And you say things so well. And I appreciate you. Thanks for the fight. Thank you, Laura Lynn. All the best to you. Yeah, that, that was a little bit hard, wasn't it? Um, we ran part of a clip yesterday. And in keeping in uh, with this vaccine and all that Dr. Hodkinson, what a great man. He's been through so much and he's, he's so fantastic. I wanted the whole clip of Dan Bongino. He took the vaccine and uh, so that's number 28. He took the vaccine and then um, he showed a clip of Tucker Carlson outlining some of the facts about it. So I just want to show that and then we're getting close to being done today, guys. Take a look. You know, I, I got the vaccine. Again, I've, I do not ever try to fake the funk with you all. When I make a mistake, it's for the world to see. We all do it. There's no excuse for stupid. But I got to tell you, it was dumb. I believe in science, not the science, because there is no the science. Science is a process. There's no the science. Why is that, Joe? Because science is always evolving and changing. But the change takes time. And me being a believer in science, having practiced science and my educational experience in neuropsychology and elsewhere, believing in the scientific method, good, robust testing, and then retesting and reanalyzing your results, I should have waited. Because the hard reality is, when the vaccine first came out, we didn't have chronological data because it just came out. There was no time that had passed. I should have waited. It's one of the greatest regrets of my life. I freaked out, man. I had cancer. I thought I was dying. I just wanted to see my youngest daughter's wedding. I don't expect uh, any of you to forgive me for being stupid about it. I don't. Or to forget it. But gosh, it was the biggest mistake of my life. Okay, maybe we'll get it right tomorrow. But, but that, uh, I love Dan Bongino. And we do forgive him. Uh, we forgive him. Uh, but I wanted to replay it because I wanted the one that had the clip with... Uh, that he played off of Tucker Carlson that slammed home what was going on with the vaccine. And it's so powerful. Let's try again tomorrow. <laughs> Let's not worry about it. But in any case, I, I think Dan Bongino is feeling like a lot of people are feeling uh, right now. Like uh, they were scared. Uh, people have taken this vaccine. I, I am not angry at anyone who has. I know that they did it for all kinds of reasons uh, that made sense to them at the time without information. Um, I don't know what it was inside of me. I, I, I just, I mean, I did sort of, sort of start studying very early on, you know, what, what the bad effects were and I did not want to do it. But some of the other effects that have happened because of COVID is the amount of money being paid to all kinds of people. We know Dina Henshaw and Bonnie Henry and Teresa Tam are just lining their pockets with their paychecks on the heads of those who have died underneath their care. Well, here's a really cool guy talking about Western University and how they are requiring boosters. And I, I'd really like you to take a listen to this because what they're doing now is um, it's showing where all the money's from, why, why they've been acting so crazy. 
So take a look. News right now is that Western University is mandating the booster shot for students, faculty, and staff effective on October 1st. And they're saying they're doing this based on public health recommendations from the Middle Middlesex London Health Department. But then Fanshawe College also says they're taking recommendations from the public health and they're not mandating the booster shot. So Fanshawe is just like a walk down the street from Western. Did the science change as you walk down the street? No, what's actually happened here is a couple days before this, on August 19th, this article came out saying that Western is receiving a $4 million investment from the federal government and then a couple of days later they announced they're going to mandate the booster shot it's not a secret what's happening here the federal government is buying out these universities and now they're going to force all the students who want to attend school there to get a booster shot so i really wonder what's going to happen there's already some backlash against western university for this it makes absolutely no sense and think about all the students you know we saw this with the, with the, uh, the other vaccine mandates for the university last year and now they're going to put the booster in place and, and hold that even more kids away from their education i think it's horrible i'm not a fan of universities anyways but the students who do want to go there they should not be forced to take this experimental drug just to do that for a third time. It's ridiculous. Yep, 100%. So everyone's getting money. That's how this all happened. Like the elites of the world, the very wealthy, Pfizer, Moderna, all of the, the people that have all this money, they paid everyone. This is how the compliance has happened. So if you wonder why your work has treated everyone so badly and made you lose your job, well, they probably got paid for that. They got money for it. That is what has happened. That is how all of this happened. Um, uh, an organization, uh, the JCCF, is in court fighting vaccine mandates. This is number 72, Aaron. And uh, this is pretty good. I'm very glad to see that they are uh, going after this. So students in court today fighting Seneca College vaccination mandate. So this is a college. Um, I think this is in Toronto. The Justice Center announces that lawyers will be in court on behalf of Seneca College students today, arguing their right to equal treatment free of discrimination due to their COVID vaccine status. The Justice Center has advanced legal arguments to ensure that Seneca students will be allowed to return to their studies this fall on an interim basis pending the full court hearing. How, how ignorant do you have to be to force kids to get a vaccine? What are you? Are you doctors? And if you are, are you evil? Do you not see the stats? Do you not read what's going on? and you're forcing kids to get this, to go to your university, may you be sued by not just the folks right now who are just asking that you not discriminate and not violate. Do you understand about the Nuremberg Code? How, how many boosters do you think should be forced? 10? Because Trudeau bought enough for 10 for each Canadian. How many do you think should be forced? What kind of ignorance? How bizarrely, maybe greedy are you that you have taken blood money when we see the harms that are now happening? May God deal with you ever so severely for what you have done. All right. Um, couple more things before we go. It's been a very emotional show, I'd have to say. I'm so proud of Odessa Orlowitz. 
and her fight. You know, I, I found her in a parade. <laughs> it was actually not really a parade. <laughs> it was a march. And uh, there was Odessa standing up, standing up for her kids not to have to be vaccinated and all of this that went on. And so here she is on Stu Peters. And I just, I'm so proud. It's just like my, my protege. I love her. Um, okay. Uh, so I don't know what 70 is. It's about, about a public order emergency commission. Um, what is that, Aaron, before I go? It's a webpage on 70. Uh, hmm. It's super, it's not that. I don't know what that is. Um, I do know that was part of something. Yeah. Is it the public commission? on what's happening. Okay, we'll just get that for tomorrow. Anyways, I'm I'm too spent. Let's like, we're done. We've, we've done it all. Hey, my website is lauralyn.tv. I go through so many things in a day. I, I don't know what's left at the end of the day. Oh my gosh. And, and remember that thing from um, Andy, Andy Lee? She, they were exploring and looking into, oh yeah. And also Kian Bexty. I, I would like to get him on the show. Okay. Okay, that's what that is. So Kian Bexty is reporting on some documents that have been sent to him. He got his hands on them, and he's quite the little researcher, isn't he? So he got some documents that were sent to him uh, showing that Trudeau is going to have, like, these facilities to deal with climate uh, deniers or climate uh, folks that are doing all the climate agenda. Well, you know, since this one's falling apart with your whole COVID thing and you know, no one's going to take your climate vaccine. Um, so they're going to start punishing people and they've got these rooms and then like a quiet section, people are an interrogation room. So I think that's pretty pathetic. Something weird's going on. And of course we know something weird's always going on with our Canada and our prime minister. My website is lauralyn.tv. I thank you very much for joining us, for loving us, for supporting us, for sending cash, sending checks, and helping us to do what we do. You won't see anything that we showed here today on CTV, CBC, or Global. They are paid a lot of money to tell you lies, to give you misinformation, and to deceive you. We are paid very little <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> So if you'll help us by um, supporting us, we'd be so grateful. And please have some fun. Please do something crazy with the ones you love. Don't let all of this get you down. Don't let it be the only thing that you think about day and night. I'm trying not to. And I know that the Lord has a wonderful, wonderful plan for all of us. Um, so I had a scripture to read, and then uh, my thing has been in the uh, thing here. So I just thank you for your love, your kindness, your goodness, your grace. You're coming along this journey with me. Psalms 109. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with words, hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. 
They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. <laughs> There's always someone more evil than the guy you think is truly evil. And David had a really smart way of praying. He said, God, we're gonna need some big help on this. And maybe we need someone even worse than this dude. Well, who was always chasing David? It was Saul. Saul was trying to kill him all the time. Saul was so jealous of him. Saul had evil in his heart. Ultimately, he died. You know, God gave him over. God removed the kingship from him because he just hated David instead of honoring David and loving David for the anointing and the call that David had. So David says, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few and may another take his place of leadership. We need a good leader. Will you join me in prayer today that Canada be saved? Breaks my heart that people don't want to sing the anthem anymore. And you can't blame them. A lot of people are hurting. You know, when, when displaying a Canadian flag becomes a sign that you are some sort of terrorist, have you seen the way they talk about us? May God help us. We pray for Canada right now. We ask you, God, that you would intervene, that you would rescue us, that you would save our nation, that you would bring about a righteous leader, not one who is given to bribes, not a leader that can be blackmailed because they've already done something they're so ashamed of that it could come up again and so they become someone's puppet. We need a godly leader. We need somebody who cannot be bought, who cannot, who cannot be turned to ways of evil because they love money. We need somebody who honors God's principles, who honors what Canada was founded on, which my first guest today said, as in America, Judeo-Christian values. And don't be afraid of Judeo-Christian values, my friend, because Judeo-Christian values allow you the ability, the authority to reject God, but to be in a free land because God honors freedom. We pray for Canada. God bless you. See you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.